Uh, hey friends, welcome. As you've probably heard the news by now, um, our friend, uh, one of my good friends, um, beloved evangelist Luis Palau, went to be with the Lord and um, he was surrounded by family and friends. He was 86. Um, he actually had a long run after cancer that he didn't think he would get and spoke here and was amazing stuff. And we thought we would take this week, not just to honor Luis, but to listen to him and be inspired by him. Luis was unbelievable um, in every setting. And part of that was he was so funny that everybody wanted to be around him. For example, a few years ago, Luis and I, we were at Mount Hermon. We're both speaking at the conference. I'm doing the morning sessions. He's doing the evening sessions. So we got to hang out all week and we started bantering. Each, Lisa would get up, make fun of me. I'd get up and try not to make fun of him. And But here's the deal. It's at Mount Hermon. I'm wearing shorts the entire time. I mean, it's hot down there. It's California. It's casual. So I'm wearing shorts and I, I don't know, I swear. And Luis gets up, makes some comment, and then he says, I have a verse for Pastor Ray. And I'm going, okay, what is he going to do now? He puts up a verse, and it is Psalm 147.10, and it, he says this, the Lord takes no delight in the legs of a man. The entire place fell apart, and for the first time that week, I went up in long pants in the next session. And we, but it was he was just fundamentally joyful, and had this combination of, unbelievable joy and incredible sense of humor and this passionate love for God that was infectious, which is why he spoke to over a billion people and he could speak to anybody because that combination of joy and passion works with teenagers or 80 year olds. Okay. Uh, he was here a few years ago. I grabbed him backstage and I said, Luis, um, I want to have a, I want to have a conversation about the most important thing you care about. And that is making sure everyone everywhere hears the gospel of Jesus Christ. Okay. And here is what he had to say. We have thousands of people looking at this. If you could speak to everybody in America, that's a believer okay. for two minutes about sharing their faith, mm. what advice would you give them? What would you say to Christians who right now aren't really majoring mm. in sharing their faith? What would you say to them? If you want to keep your, your inner soul alive and excited and, and just vibrant, just keep looking at people as people for whom Christ died and find some way to share the good news. I mean, that's what keeps you alive and cheerful. And, and, and I feel evangelism keeps you youngish. Because, you know, it's always eternal business. You know, yep. you're leading people to the Lord. You know when they get converted, nothing motivates you. I mean, you're winning a football game, uh, you know, whatever. That, that's exciting, but it's uh -huh. childish compared uh -huh. to eternal souls. So you just keep going and the doors are there, so why not? I heard this stat about America. I, I, I've seen it so many times, I'm beginning to believe it. That 85% of American ordinary people would consider accepting an invitation to a Christian event. 85%, mm. but only 2% of Christians ever invite a non-church people to a Christian event. So 85% yeah. of unchurched people said, if I just got invited, I'd consider going. Absolutely, but, but only 2% ever invite a non-Christian to a Christian event. Unbelievable. Yeah. Imagine we ever flip that. Yeah, flip it around. But now you happen to be in a church that you've trained well and they're excited. And every time I come here, uh, people are, you know, there's hundreds of non-believers present, yep. obviously prayed yep. for, and the rest of the crowd is excited. They expect uh -huh. God to work. And that's what I called a salvific spirit in a church. Uh, I got uh, it from Spanish, so it sounds a little <laughs> awkward, salvific, but it means uh, a saving spirit in the congregation. It yep. isn't in many places, but interestingly enough, many of the large churches are because they have that spirit. They expect right. God to work. They believe God will work. The congregation accepts it. And you come in and you know you're in a salvific atmosphere. Right. Anybody can preach and lead people to Christ. Absolutely. A few years ago, Luis and I were backstage and he was talking about his passionate concern for teenagers in America and who doesn't need that now? Well, at that point, this is about a decade ago, I, I had two daughters, identical twins, Leslie and Christy, and they are teenagers. And I thought, this is my shot. 
I thought, what would I pay to get them in a room and have Luis Palau speak to my girls about what it took to walk with God as a teenager? So that's exactly what I did. I grabbed somebody with a camera, my wife Carol, CJ Alvarado, um, our girls, and I just said to Luis Palau, if you could speak to any teenager in the world for three minutes and say anything you wanted to those teenagers, what would you say? He took the most brilliant advice for teenagers or parents that I've ever heard, and he put it in three minutes. We wanted you to have your own permanent copy of that. Here it is. This is so good. Uh, Luis, this is my daughter, Christy. Yeah, Christy. Uh, My daughter, Leslie. They just turned 18. I know, girls, I know. You had the Luis party Palau. last night. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Luis, they're 18 years old. Yeah. Both of them are Christians, just getting started serving God. Yeah. They just uh, spent their entire summer working at a... Uh, camp. At a Christian camp. Where? Um, Catalina Island. Catalina. Oh, Suffering wow. for Jesus, Jesus on Catalina Island. A real pagan field. Yeah. What What would you say to them if they, <clears throat> if you if you had these two, if you have every single 18-year-old in the world yes. looking at you and you got to talk to them for three minutes, what would you tell them? Three minutes. Okay, girls, here we go. <laughs> no, you know, one verse that came into my head when your dad said that was, remember your creator in the days of your youth. Before the evil days come, when you say, I have no contentment in them. You know, when you're young, it's choice to serve Jesus Christ. And then to start young and go throughout all your life serving the Lord. Second thing I quickly say, don't you dare marry a non-believer. All right, I'll come after you myself. Oh, good. You want to repeat yeah. that one again? Yeah. All right. <laughs> Take five. Listen, girls. First Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 6 do not be unequally yoked with an unbeliever. So many kids today and even parents say, well, but he, he goes to church once in a while. Or he is a nice kid. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But the Lord said, don't marry an unbeliever. Too much pain, girls. Too much pain. Wait till the Lord has a good guy for you. And if he doesn't have one, stay single. It's better to be single than poorly married. That's what I would say. Yeah, because you can that's hang out I with say. dad and mom. <laughs> yeah, he, he didn't set me up either. You know? That's right. Okay, the third thing is, is stay in the Word and do it now that you're young. When I was 18, the guy who discipled me said, Luis, now that you're single, spend hours in the Bible. When you get married, half your time is chopped off. And every child that comes along, another 10% of your time is chopped off. By the time you have four kids, only 10% of your time is your own. So take advantage now that your teenage girls spend a lot of time with the Lord, learn everything you come in the Word, because time gets shrinking as you get older. You just don't have as much time. And what's in your mind and your heart when you're a teenager never leaves you. Never leave. It's glorious to see girls who love Christ like you guys do. At least your dad thinks so. You know? yeah. And they got he, him cool. He thinks he so, I got they, twin boys, but they're not boys. They're 46 years old. They were your age once. And though both of them have served the Lord. They went to Wheaton College. They married good Christian girls. They're serving Jesus Christ. They're middle-aged guys now, but they started young. And you know, if you start in your youth, nobody can take that away from you. You know, sometimes you hear about guys who like to tell their story. You know, I was a wild guy in the world. Yeah, fine, keep your story. I'd rather be holy, you know, be holy and not have a dirty story to tell for the movies. It's much better to, to have, what's your life? Who were you like a teenager? I was a boring follower of Jesus Christ, but I lived a holy life and a pure life and I married the right guy and I don't have a gory story to make a movie movie out of. Thank God for that. You know, the best story is Jesus came into my heart when I was a kid. I walked with the Lord all these years. I love him. I, God sent me a guy that was just right for me. Not perfect, but just right. And I'm serving him till I die. We unleashed Luis to a lot of leaders and influencers. And the reason we did that is he was not just a great communicator, he was a great example. For example, um, a few years ago, I'm speaking up in Oregon at a place called Cannon Beach. And it's a conference center. I'm doing the evening sessions in this all week. I get up to speak and I look in the back row and Luis and his wife, Pat, are sitting in the back row. And I'm going, have I been replaced? What is going on here? Well. He, he's got his Bible out. I speak. He's taking notes. Now, if you're a communicator and Luis is listening, this is intimidating the entire time, okay? I mean, it's like having Jesus in the room or Jesus Jr. And and so I he came up afterwards and he said, my brother, that was an amazing message. Let me tell you what I learned. I'm going to be stealing this and using this, all this kind of stuff. And I just, I sat there and I went, 
I know very few Christian leaders that will show up, sit, take notes on somebody, and then go and make sure that person's affirmed for what they said. It meant a ton to me, not just because of what he said. I was just so grateful to God to have Luis as a friend, and we went out to dinner later, as a friend and as an example to follow. So we have put Luis in as many leadership situations as we can and asked him to speak at leaders. Our Thrive Conference is sort of worldwide gathering of people that love God and want to make an influence, just like you. And so we just said, let's unleash Luis on these folks. Here is one of the wisest things he said at this conference. Check this out. Enough is enough. Enough is enough. Sit down, sit down. You're eating into my time. Uh-huh. That's sweet of you, very sweet. You know, I kept thinking back there, why does Ray insist on bringing me on? I'm 84 years old. Don't go to sleep, you guys. I was watching you. I'm 84. It's so that he will feel young. That's why he brings me here. So he'll feel like he's a young chick or whatever, you know. And uh, I'm the old guy and he honors me and I love him. But it's his wife that really forces me to come. So Carol, that's the one I count on. He is just her mouth, her mouthpiece. Uh, now, this live conference is such a blessing, people from all over, and they've told me what to speak about. They even gave me notes. No, not quite. But uh, uh, Andrew, did you have the Irish one today? Yeah. Did you have him? Yeah. Did you do all right? Yeah. Are you sure? Yeah. You know, he's Irish. All they know is how to tell jokes. I mean, do they, do they ever get serious, you know? And uh, they say he's a good Bible teacher, but I've never heard him, so I got to take it by, by, by chance. And I enjoy his company, but can he really teach the Bible? Yeah. All right, I'll take your word for it. How many think he can't? No, 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 no. Uh, three, Andrew, just three. Uh-huh. Well, you know, I've got to quickly tell you what they ordered me to speak about. Uh, I'm, I was 83 years old. Don't go to sleep. I'm going to watch you young guys. Uh, they're my, if they fall asleep, everybody's asleep. But uh, I was 83 on November last, uh, 17. And we just come back from England, and it was exciting. My wife and I better had a cold. Go to the doctor. He takes an x-ray and suddenly says, I don't like what I see. You're going to have to see an oncologist. So an oncologist deals with cancer, in case you didn't know. And uh, I go to the oncologist, and he was not a nice fellow. I mean, I didn't like him. Uh, he, uh, he sat me down, walks in. My four boys are with me. My wife didn't want to show up. And uh, he, he said, you've got stage four cancer. I said, what does that mean? There's no cure for that kind of cancer. I said, surgery, surgery won't work. I said, <laughs> stupid me. Does that mean I'm going to die one of these days? He said, yes, it does. I mean, he was a blunt guy. So I said, uh, how many months have I got? He said, well, if you do chemotherapy, 9 to 12 months. By next Christmas, you're gone. And if I don't do chemo, he said, four months and you're gone. Huh, Christmas was three days away. What a Christmas gift. So uh, uh, I thought, I want a second opinion. So I said, I want to talk to a woman oncologist, you know. So we go over to her. She was so sweet. My wife and I love her. She's tender. She said exactly the same thing, only with a smile. <laughs> In four months, <laughs> you're gone. So, uh, so then... I thought, oh boy, I gotta hurry up. So I began to think about it. And you know, like suddenly, you, I've been preaching about heaven since I was 17 or 19. My father died when I was 10 years old. He was a 34 year old businessman in Argentina. And the missionaries came, brought us the Bible, brought us Jesus Christ. My mom was converted first. She was the organist at the local Catholic parish. She began to read the Bible. She gave her life to Christ. My dad did a typical Latino male macho. They take their wife or girlfriend to church to mass, drop them off, go for a few drinks and come back after mass, pick them up and go home, you know. So my dad did that. One night he walks in, the missionary speaking. My dad stood up in the middle 
of it. Don't you do that. do that, you know. He stood up and he said, right now I receive Jesus Christ as my only Savior and Lord. And he said that. His life was revolutionized. They told me that. I was in my mother's womb, as they say. And uh, my dad became a believer with the missionaries that went and decided to plant a church every summer in a different town of southern Argentina. And so when he was 34, nine years after he came to Christ, suddenly he picked up bronchopneumonia. There was no medicine. In nine days, he was dying. And my dad sent me to boarding school to learn English because he said English is the language of the future. So my grandma called me up and said, go home quickly, your daddy is very sick. Got on a train, a subway, another train. When I got there, my dad had just gone to be with the Lord. I was 10 years old, you know, and my mom told me how it happened. He knew he was dying and he sat up in bed and began to sing a song, a Salvation Army song about heaven. And then, exhausted from the galloping fever, his head fell on the pillow. He pointed up to heaven, and he said, I'm going to be with Jesus, which is better by far, quoting St. Paul. And a few moments later, my dad went to be with the Lord. And I was only 10 years old, and I thought, man, that's the way to die. Huh? Singing, clapping your hands, quoting the Bible, and taking off. What a way to go. And in, in some way, I think that's why I went all over the world preaching the gospel ever since I was about 17. Because I felt everybody should die that way and know where they're going. How stupid, pardon me, uh, using stupid, I use it biblically. Uh -huh, uh, uh, stupid, yeah. Yeah, how stupid not to get ready for heaven. It's going to happen one of these days. And you guys, you're young. The two of you, the two, not so young. But the, you, it, 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 it's going to happen, baby. It's going to happen. So the sooner you get ready. And two years later, after my dad died, at a summer camp, our counselor sat me down and said to me, here was such a tender, sweet little boy, me, you know. He says to me, Luis, if you die tonight, are you going to heaven or hell? Imagine, what a shock. I said, I'm going to hell. And he said, why? Because I said, I have a dirty mouth. I did. Uh, I've got a bad temper. And sometimes I beat up on my sisters. I had five sisters. You'd beat up two if you had five. And uh, I was the only, only boy. And he said, okay, you're going to hell. Is that where you want to go? Oh, no. I said, no, no, no. I'm, I'm in camp because I want to go to heaven. He led me to Christ, and I've been a believer since age 12. Now, I'm 84, man. 72 years ago, I became a Christian. But suddenly, you know, everywhere in the world, whenever we have these festivals that Ray was talking about, uh, I always, on the closing night, I talked about heaven. But when the doctor said, it's your turn, I began to study it a little bit more, you know. It's like, if you're going on a tour in Europe, you want to know where you're going? Well, I'm going on a tour of heaven. I'd like to find out a bit more. So I began to read it with more attention. And you know, you, you all, kids and adults and pastors, you know what I found in the last 15 months, 16 months now, is that people want to talk. And when you talk about dying and where you're going, it's amazing. Even doctors want to talk about it. Some a little less than others. But, you know, they want to talk. And people begin to, you start a conversation. When I sit there, you know, they sit you, I'm coming to the Bible, but this is all introduction. And uh, you sit in a, in a room and you think it's the doctor and you, there's about 70 people people, all of them with stuff in their, you know, infusion, they call it. Who knows what they put in there. But anyway, so you sit there, and people sit there glumly, poor guy. Some look terrible. I look great. But, you know, I mean, so I begin to talk about the Lord real loud, as everybody knows Louis now in Portland, you know. Uh, and the, the thing is this, there is great interest. I find people want to talk about it. Even people in church have very funny ideas about heaven and what happens and when you die and that kind of a thing. Uh, I, I remember once the, the mother of our pastor, they call her Nana, she died. And somebody said, oh, Nana is an angel now. Oh, shut up. You know, <laughs> Nana, she, she's not an angel. Nana is Nana. She's in heaven because of Jesus. But she ain't no angel. She never was. I knew her story. And, uh, you know, 
But, you know, talking about the Irishman, I love the Irishman. You know, the people you love, you can make fun of. People you don't love, don't make fun of it. It shows, you know. But the other day I picked up some stories. What kids think about heaven is really funny. Let me read you just a a handful. Kids six, seven, and eight years old. This one says, his name is Steve, eight years old. I got it documented. When you die, he's a profound thinker. God takes care of you like your mother did when you were alive. Only God doesn't yell at you all the time. (laughs) Thinking boy. Another one, Jimmy, eight years old. When you die, they bury you in the ground and your soul goes to heaven. But your body can't go to heaven. It's too crowded up there already. Here's another. These are all California kids. Irish, but California. Uh Judy, a girl. Only the good people go to heaven. The other people go where it's hot all the time, like in Florida. (laughs) She thought that one through. Uh, Okay, two more. Marsha, nine years old. When you die, you don't have to do homework in heaven unless your teacher is there too. That's just depressing. But this one is my favorite. This guy is a Latino, I'm sure, although his name is Kevin. He said, I'm not afraid to die because I'm a Boy Scout. Yeah, that's a real man for you. Yeah, but now we better get serious. I've only got 20 minutes left or something. Uh, No, 25. Uh, C.S. Lewis, have you heard of him? Yeah, intelligent Christian. Irish, but intelligent. And uh, so he was one of the big ones of Ireland. He said these words. If you read history, you'll find that the Christians who did the most for the present world were precisely those who thought most about the next. It is since Christians have largely ceased to think about the other world that they have become so ineffective in this world. Interesting, huh? And you know, brothers and sisters, one reason I obeyed Ray and and the Irishman uh, to speak to you tonight about heaven is that I believe it's true, that we have become a bit embarrassed, you know? I mean, intellectual people, heaven, oh, for goodness sake, you know? uh, We should not be ashamed. It's all over the Bible. And you know, now that I've been studying it really seriously, super seriously, I picked up about 17 points. I'm not gonna give them to you all of them, so don't get asleep or don't disappear. And you keep listening, huh? Uh-huh. And, uh, but you know what I found? Something as an introduction. I think all of you pastors, Bible teachers, Sunday school teachers, all of you are in those categories serving the Lord. You know, it's revealed in the Bible that there are two destinations. And we don't go around pointing the finger. We don't go around pretending that we're superior. We're all a bunch of sinners. If we didn't have Jesus Christ, we'd all be lost. Amen? It's the truth. But I always keep telling, since I began to think about it, I said it to my doctor first. And he said, man, you make things simple. I said, Steve, I said, there are only two airports when you leave this world and land on the other side. And in the English language, they both start with the letter H. The one is heaven and the other one, hell. And uh, it's not recommended that you land in hell. It's recommended that you land in heaven, not hell. And you know, when you talk that way, people get it. You won't believe it. Children get it. Old people get it for sure because they're closer than the others to, yeah, to taking off. And I said to my doctor, you know, I am at peace because Jesus Christ is my Lord. He's promised me heaven. I've got the ticket paid for. Uh, it's only time and departure gate that needs to be decided. Otherwise, I'm ready for the trip. And you know, I want to read just two little passages from scripture for you uh, so that we get a biblical base for it. But you know, most of you know it off by heart. The first one for sure, even you guys, I bet you. It says, don't let your hearts be troubled. You trust in God, trust also in me. In my father's house, there are many mansions. If it were not so, would I have told you that I'm going to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself so that where I am, there you may be also. 
and you know the way to the place where I'm going. Philip, I think it was, no, Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? And Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. That one is famous. When my dad died, we were kids. I was the oldest of my sisters and I, and my mom used that passage. The second one I want to read, I know it's a little, it's not long, but let me read it to you because it's important that we look at it from a biblical point of view. And I want to encourage you pastors, every so often, more often than not, do talk about heaven. And once in a while, throw the other airport in and say, not recommended. Everybody, everybody crash lands when they get there. And they, the whole thing blows up. But here we go. Second uh, Corinthians 5. Now we know that if the earthly tent that we live in is destroyed, the body, we have a building from God, an eternal house in heaven, not built by human hands. Meanwhile, we groan, longing to be clothed with our heavenly dwelling, because when we are clothed, we will not be found naked. For while we're in this tent, the body, we groan and we are burdened, because we don't wish to be unclothed, but to be clothed with our heavenly dwelling, so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. Now, it is God who's made us for this very purpose and has given us the spirit as a deposit guaranteeing what is to come. Therefore, here comes the closing, we are always confident. We know that as long as we're in the home and the body, we're away from the Lord. We live by faith, not by sight. We are confident, I say, and would prefer to be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So, We make it our goal to please him, whether we're at home in the body or away from it, because we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due to him for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. So that's the subject about heaven. But look at the next verse, just for a second. Since then, the apostle says, we know what it is to fear the Lord. We try to persuade men. But what we are is plain to God. In other words, Paul says, because of heaven, because of what all all of it is, uh, we want to convert people and see them come to Christ. Otherwise, they'll go to H-E-L-L, and it's not the place to go. The Lord came to die to take us to heaven. Okay, so I want to encourage you with a few thoughts about what I've discovered Some of it you all know, but a few things, a little twists and turns that I discovered while taking the heaven seriously again. Pardon me for... You're not supposed to do that as a preacher, but when you got cancer, you get away with anything. And uh, everybody... Yeah. uh, So here we go. You know, the first thing that struck me in a new way in the last six, uh, let's say 12 months was heaven is the place where God's throne is established. That's a big deal. In other words, it's not like a big fat joke. Ha, ha, ha. When you die, you go to heaven. No, hey, it's the place of God's throne. He says repeatedly in the Bible, heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. As God takes heaven seriously, it's not a big fat joke. Heaven is where the throne, and the Bible talks about the third heaven, which is probably exactly where the great throne of God is there. And when you read the book of Revelation, hey, I encourage you to read the book of Revelation. You don't have to understand it all like I do. Uh, you know, just, just read it over and over, and you, you'll be enlightened as you go along. But heaven is mentioned a lot in Revelation. And the other book, you'll be surprised, that is big on heaven. Imagine, the book of Hebrews. It's amazing. The book of Hebrews talks about heaven, and we sort of read it and pay no attention. But you'll see several things. So it says over there, heaven is the throne of God. And the Bible talks about various thrones. There's one called the great white throne in chapter 20. And that one is when God sits in judgment over those who refuse to receive Jesus Christ or those who refuse to repent. 
and receive Jesus Christ, they will stand before the white throne of God and God Almighty will judgment. We'll come to that in a few moments. But you know, the good thing is this. The second point I found is this. When you read the Bible fully, heaven is filled with multitudes of thousands upon thousands. It says in one chapter seven, I believe, 10,000 times 10,000 plus thousands of, try and count that. Even Intel engineers can't do it. You know, I mean, ten, thousands upon thousands and 10,000 times 10,000 sounds like a lot of people. And that's what the Bible says. And think about it. How many people die loving Jesus Christ? Think of all the boys and girls who die before they grow up and reach the age of accountability, as the theologians call it. Think of all the little babies that are aborted and that are innocent. And they're little people, little persons, but they go to heaven. And you know, there's millions upon millions and heaven is filled. And you know, in one of the parables of the Lord, in several, uh, the, the, the king who has a marriage feast for his son, he says, go into the highways and the cow towns and compel them to come in. I want my house to be filled. God doesn't want heaven to be for a little huddle of little super saints, despicable little people who think they're better than others. No, no, no. God wants heaven to be filled with sinners who repent and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ with a sincere heart. He wants it full. He wants it full. Yes, give it a hand. And there are two verses, one by St. Paul. St. Paul says, God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to the knowledge of the truth. First Peter chapter, First Timothy chapter two. And St. Peter says in Second Peter chapter three, God is not willing that anyone should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And the Lord Jesus in one of the stories when he talks about the 100 sheep, one gets lost. And then he says, uh, he's talking about children. Let the little children come to me. And you go looking for the one little child who needs to know the Lord. And he says, the, it's not the Father's will that one of these little ones should be lost. Isn't that beautiful? God is, of course, God is God. Is he going to wish that somebody was lost? Huh? Here comes a little baby and God says, I don't like little monster. To hell. <laughs> Come on now. You know, God loves him and says, I want this baby to grow up and come to heaven. Come to be with me to enjoy it. I love this little creature. And he even likes you, imagine. I mean, you know, uh, he, he loves me, but that's understandable. But, you know, you, imagine you with all the stuff you've got hidden in your past. And we hope your mother-in-law never finds out. You know, you, you, he loves you and he wants to play. So it's filled with multitudes. Don't imagine that it's a lonely little island in the Caribbean. This place is jammed with people. Number three. Heaven, Jesus calls it my father's house. I love that, huh? I mean, this is the Lord Jesus speaking, not me, he, and then the word. And he says, in my father's house, there are many mansions. That's what the King James says. I like that. You know, some of the modern translations, for some reason, they say, in my father's house, there are many rooms. And you see, that sounds like a Motel 6 to me. I mean, you know, I mean, I, I want a mansion in heaven, not a, a room with a bathroom and a closet. You know, I, I love the King James. In my father's house, there are many mansions. And the Lord says, I am going to prepare a place for you. I mean, that's how Jesus looks at it. I, I don't know who you all are. I look and look and I don't recognize anyone. I can't see in the first, even these kids. You kids stay awake. And, uh, but you know, you look and you say, you know, the Lord is preparing a place for you. That isn't hot air. The Lord, if I may use a bad phrase, he doesn't BS you. He doesn't say, I'm going to prepare a place for you, but forget it if any, yeah, just figurative language. He's preparing a place for you. Mine, I hope, will be like a Caribbean island. Big, with nice beaches, warm. Some people say, we're going to work in heaven. I'm not interested. I mean, if, if, no, if the Lord wants me to work, I'll work. But I just want to have fun. I, I just think that heaven is a glorious place. Why, why should we have to work was a chastisement for sin. Let's not get into that. Okay. Number four, this one's good. And it came afresh to me. Heaven is a place where the cross of Jesus Christ 
And the blood of Jesus Christ is mentioned again and again and again, especially in the book of Revelation and in the book of Hebrews, the cross. Without the cross, not a one of us would ever get in there. Not the nicest granny, not the most wonderful grandpa like me, we just wouldn't make it because sin would preclude us from there. But because of the cross, and you know, uh, Professor Coleman from Trinity Seminary and others uh, has said there are 14 hymns and songs in the book of Revelation. Of the 14, 11 are exclusively focused on the cross and the blood of Christ. The other three on God the creator who made all things, etc. You remember that. But how exciting it is. And all number four, five, heaven is, is a place where Jesus Christ is glorified. And we sing to him and bow before him. And we bow before the throne and the person of our Lord. You remember the first martyr of the Christian church. His name was Stephen. And he was stoned to death. And as he was being stoned, his enemies were cursing him. And he looked up into heaven, it says. And he said, I see heaven opened. And the son of man standing at the right hand of the throne. And the people got angry and shouted and even stoned him even harder. And when he fell on the ground, almost dead, he cried out and said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And he was gone. You know, what a glorious thing it is. Whether you're being killed for Christ or you die a natural death with a nice piece of cancer in your lung. Whatever it is, you go into the presence of the Lord. And the Lord Jesus Christ is there waiting for us. Yeah, it's very exciting. Give him a hand. Give him a hand. Yeah. Another thing that I... Yes? We don't, we don't need microphones in heaven. That's one of the good things I didn't find in the Bible. Uh-huh. Another thing that impressed me afresh is that you and I have a high priest in heaven. Uh -huh. And if you read Hebrews, which I read a lot, you know, because when the news came that you're dying, I thought, okay, you know, why is this happening? Eh? Is the Lord remembering something I did that I haven't confessed, you know? I mean, your mind begins to work over that. I'm a wonderful person, but uh, nevertheless, you think, okay, Lord, what are you trying to say? And, so, and I, I felt the devil attacking me. And I think you'll find that when your time comes, if it doesn't happen by a crash or something, uh, he, he, he kind of says, hey, Louis, everybody thinks you're a wonderful guy, but I know you well. And I got some stories I could tell your parents or whoever, you know, and put you in trouble. And I, I really began to semi-panic, you know. And then I read Hebrews 7, 8, and 9, and 10 over and over and over. And it says, Jesus Christ is into making intercession for us. I tell you, it's so good to know what the Bible teaches. Jesus Christ is there. And when Satan attacks me and says to God the Father, Palau, he's from Argentina. He's a dirty little Latino. You know, uh, uh, Jesus Christ steps up and says, yes, but I died for Palau. And the blood of Jesus purifies from all sin. Yeah. That's what the high priest does. He's there to defend us. He's our lawyer. And uh, he is perfect. And you know, God wants everyone to go to heaven. We've got to tell people that. That God wants all men to be saved. And that they, it's a beautiful, wonderful place. Number six or whatever. Uh, uh, one, one thing I rediscovered that I hadn't paid attention to in 70 years for Pete's sake. Is this. There are books in heaven. No computers mentioned, but books, yes. And uh, so in the books, there's plural. The books are the books that are presented at the great white throne when everybody has to stand before God Almighty as the judge, the righteous judge, the justice judge who makes no mistakes, nothing bypasses him, and you don't need a lawyer. God knows it all. And so uh, it, it, the books are written. So when they stand before the white throne, those who refuse to believe in Jesus Christ, their books must be a pile of books, uh, and they're going to come out. And uh, the person tries to justify themselves, and God says, 
page 323, when you were in Vancouver, nothing against Canada here. Uh, you know, uh, you blah, 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 I forgot that. Yeah, huh? And then you were in Chicago and you did a business deal that was, oh yeah, I forgot. Uh, they're gonna be just, uh, justified. But for, there's another book, singular, The Lamb's Book of Life. And The Lamb's Book of Life, this is the beautiful thing. None of our sins are written there, just our name. And it literally says, I take the Bible seriously. I hope you do too. Of course you do. You wouldn't be here, right? You wouldn't be here. Uh, so the Bible says, what does it say? Uh -huh. It says, only those whose names are written in the Lamb's Book of Life. So sin is taken care of at the cross. The blood of Christ has purified us. We're there by God's grace, by God's mercy, by God's love, and because we repented and believed in the Lord Jesus Christ. So our name is in the book, the one book. Is your name in the book? That's a good question to ask, huh? Is your name written in the Lamb's book of life? Have you signed on? If you receive Jesus Christ, your name is there. Your sins will never be looked at again. That is so exciting. So, yeah, praise God for such a real thing. About when I was about the age of these guys here, there was a song that they sang in England. I'm not going to sing it, but I loved it. It said, soon and very soon, we're going to see the king. Soon and very soon, we're going to see the king. Soon and very soon, we're going to see the king. Hallelujah, hallelujah, we're going to see the king. And uh, you know, for me, the first thing that I think of when I think that, before next Christmas, almost for sure, I'm gone. Right airports. Uh, I'm gonna see the face of Jesus Christ. You know, in Santa Cruz, California, that we had a festival during 9-11 when the Twin Towers came down. And there were two sweet teenage girls, 15 and 16, Mandy and Carrie from a family called Wagner. And they were in charge of cleaning up the beach. It was on the beach. And at night, so that nobody could complain in Santa Cruz about the festival, they were in charge of keeping every last bottle, every piece of paper. At 11 o'clock on the last Saturday night of the festival, they finished cleaning, jumped in the car, Mr. Wagner drove, Mama next to him, the two sweet teenage girls in the back seat, their only children. And they were, uh, got to a, uh, going home at 11, a drunken woman with three little babies in the back of the SUV ran a stop sign, jammed into them, and they were both killed, the, the girls on the spot. The dad almost, the mother a little less. Next morning, I went to the hospital to see him. And I said, I'd like to see the Wagners. And the nurse said, well, you can't talk to the man. He's really sedated. His head is blown up. But the mother may be able to talk to you. So we went over where the mother was in bed. And I took her hand and she opened her eyes. And Mrs. Wagner said, oh, Louise, you've come. Did you hear what happened last night? I said, yes, that's why I'm here. She said, you heard that the girls died. I said, yes, I did. And I, she said to me, listen to this. It really shook me up. She said, Luis, think of this. Last night, the girls saw the face of Jesus for the first time. I thought, wow, what a mama, huh? I mean, that was her thought. And then she said, I thought that dad and I would be the ones to get there first, and the girls beat us to it. And I thought, what a view of eternity of God and of reality. These sweet little girls, 15 and 16, beautiful teenage girls, love their cat, love the Lord, love their parents, love their church, and they are serving Jesus Christ. And you know, that truth needs to be emphasized today. Even though the world mocks, let them laugh, man. Secretly, a lot of people want to know. One, not, I, I don't have time, I'll tell you. I was in line at, at the hospital in Portland, and a lady came, a young woman, probably 30, 32, with a little baby, and her husband holding the baby, and she had her hair covered because her hair was gone because of the chemotherapy. And she was standing behind me. I didn't talk to them. I, she, she came first, then the husband with the baby. And I said, hi, how are you doing? And checking in, you know. And uh, just talked. I didn't talk about Christians or anything, just talking. The husband came. They joked about a cup of coffee. I said, hey, get me one too, you know, just goofing off. And uh, we're standing in line waiting to be called, and she was behind me. And she said to me, sir, I'm old, sir. Uh, 
you don't seem to be afraid of dying. I said, you know, you're right. Because I, uh, I trust in Jesus Christ, and I know that when I die, I'm going straight to heaven. I tell you, I've become bold like an old grandpa should be, and, and you kids should be too. And uh, so she said, how's that? And uh, I, I, I said, well, you know, I trust in him, and he's promised me that when I die, I'll go to be with him. She said, oh, you, she, then the, the woman called me up, you know. She said, what's your date of birth? They always ask you, 11, 27, 34. And she says to me, oh, what is those astrology things, you know? What do they call them? This woman behind me says, oh, you're a vegetarian or whatever, you know. I, uh, I, 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 I said, uh, I, said I, uh, I don't know because I don't follow that kind of junk. It'll take you to hell. She said, what? Uh, yeah, I said, Jesus Christ takes us to heaven. These other guys take you to hell. Anyway, poor sweetheart. You know, I didn't want to frighten her, but I really wanted to speak the truth. And you know, the interesting thing is, she wanted to talk about it. And when the husband came back, she said, this guy talks about heaven. You know, I thought, oh, wow, I'm going to have a campaign right here, you know. And you can find the same thing is true. People want to know. Okay, next. Heaven is a place of holiness and true purity. Heaven is a holy place. So you could say, well, who gets in there besides Jesus? You know, none of us are holy like you need to be. But we are because of the blood of Jesus Christ. We are declared forgiven, justified, cleansed, children of God. We are changed. So rejoice in the fact. And when we get to heaven, it's going to be holiness, holiness and holiness. Spurgeon, a famous old Baptist preacher from England, he said, think of this. We will never sin again. And you know, I'm 84, and I never thought about that. I thought, gee, I thought I knew everything. And, uh, but we will never sin again. Think of that. Uh, when you go to bed at night, even in the best of days, an attitude, a word, a thought, a word, a deed. You know, you have somebody say, Lord, have mercy one more time. You know, but in heaven, it'll never happen again. It's a great thought. Does that excite you guys? Huh? We won't sin again. We won't sin again. Think of it. No more temper, no more big mouth, no more swearing, no more bad attitudes, no more coveting, all the beautiful sins that we all commit. Yeah, so, and then, yes, I got to say it, heaven is a place of true service to God. Yes, I'd rather vacation, but it looks like the Lord has a plan for all of us, and he will assign us, you know, uh, different jobs. But the beautiful thing is this, four things that I want to close up with is this. Heaven is a place of complete perfection, and I'll mention four areas which are biblical, but maybe you haven't thought about it lately because you think you're going to live forever. Forever is 84, and uh, this one I love, the first one. We shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. First <clears throat> John chapter three. Think of that. Not like him in face or appearance, moral likeness. We shall be like the Lord Jesus because we shall see him as he is. Think of that. You, you look at yourself in the mirror and say, man, you're ugly, you know. And, uh, but one day we will be like Jesus in his character, in his morality, in his perfection, that's exciting. It's exciting. I can't wait to see the Lord Jesus. I want to see my dad and my mom and Billy Graham and all sorts of famous history people. But Jesus is number one. And think of it. You will see his face. Number two, we shall know as we are known. First Corinthians chapter 13 says, perfect knowledge. Asique, that's Spanish. Uh, so uh, perfect, perfect moral character. Second, perfect not. All the questions that you, very smart, USC, Stanford, even Davis, uh, you know, I mean, uh, all you bright people and your questions, don't panic. When we get to heaven, we'll hear the answer. And we're going to say, how come I didn't think of it? I believe that stupid professor instead of believing the word of God, you know. And uh, we're going to know as we are known. So don't worry about questions you can't answer and your grandpa can't answer either. When we get to heaven, we'll understand it all and we will see how glorious God is. But there's a number three thing. Every tear will be gone. No more crying. 
no more tears, no more pain, no more death, no more sadness, perfection, physical, human perfection. Think of it. My wife was saying, there will be a few tears when we first get there. I don't know where she got this, but it sounds true. And uh, uh, it, it's, it's, I think it's in the book. Uh, when we get there, we're going to have what is called the judgment seat of Christ. And the Lord's going to review what we did on earth with our bodies. And so for a moment, he's going to tell us, uh -huh, you could have done this, you could have done that, you didn't do it. We'll cry. Your tears are wiped. Forget it. No more crying, no more tears, no more death, no more sickness. Hallelujah. Absolute perfection. And that's beautiful. Yeah, praise the Lord. And then finally, when Jesus Christ comes back to resurrect the church, our bodies will be resurrected. The timing is always a little bit more of a complex thing. When I get to heaven, I'll get it and I'll text uh, Ray to tell you, you know, uh, what, 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 what I figure out when I'm up there. But we will have a perfect body at last, you know. No more cancer, no more infusions, no more. They cut me up last Friday to insert something to get rid of the the, the, the liquid, whatever they call it, you know. And you say, okay, here we go. You know, I've come to this conclusion. The older you get, your body's like an old car. You face the, fix the brakes, the lights go out. You fix the lights, <laughs> the air conditioning goes And you keep fixing, fixing, finally, take this thing and get it out of here, you know. But, uh, but the beautiful thing I want to finish with, since this isn't an evangelistic meeting, I'm not going to give an invitation I'm sure all of you in the kingdom, if there's a pagan or two, I'll give a quickie. But, uh, uh, but uh, this, this, is, this is the beautiful thing. People want to know. Well, it's wise, isn't it? Uh, what happens when a believer dies? You know, the Bible says we are created in the image and likeness of God, tripartite. God is three in one, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We are three in one body, soul, and spirit. So when a believer dies, when I die, and we got a lot bought on the West Hills of Portland where they're going to put my lovely body, you know, for the worms to eat it. And uh, so when they lay me down, where am I? The Bible puts it in the King James. You know, the King James ain't all that bad. There's a lot of good stuff. I love this one. Absent from the body, about a third of you know it. You guys better memorize it, okay? <laughs> Absent from the body, present with the Lord. When my dad died, there was his body. But where was my dad? That's just the body. We buried him. I threw the first piece of dirt, you know, and uh, he was in heaven. And you know, the beautiful thing is, a believer really never dies. He just transfers mailing address instantly. Yeah? My address right now is Portland. When day I die, it'll be heaven. I don't know what my mansion is, but I'll let you know. And, uh, you know, and so what happens? You leave the body behind, but the real you, the live person who lives, the, the Bible calls the body a, a, a tent. A tent is a very fleeting little thing. You can kick it in the right place and it collapses. That's why we're all frail and we take care of each other and blow our hair, those who have any, and, uh, they, and you know, fix ourselves up and shave and perfume and makeup and all the rest that the women do. And, you know, you, you just take care of it, but it's just a tent. And the moment it collapses, bye-bye. It's over. But at the resurrection, it'll be a, a new body, similar to the resurrection body of Jesus Christ. That's going to be so exciting. The details are not spelled out 100%. But you know, we go instantly to be with the Lord. You close your eyes on earth, boom, you're in heaven. That's so exciting. And you can believe that because it's in the Word of God. Uh, you better read it up a bit more, perhaps, in the next few weeks, just in case. And, uh, but you know, the proof is this. Not only that it's in the book, documented, but the Holy Spirit who indwells us testifies that what he wrote in the book is true. And he says in 2 Corinthians 5, did you notice when we were reading it, he's given us the Spirit to guarantee his promises. The Holy Spirit says, you are my child. 
Heaven is your home. I'm your savior. You're going straight there the moment your heart stops. Don't worry about a thing. You leave the body behind for the day of resurrection, and you come to be with me forever. Man, that, and you, no, yeah, give him a hand. You know, so no wonder, no wonder that the Bible calls it good news. And boy, does Washington, D.C. need good news. Uh-huh, and California, too. Uh, now, you guys who are preachers teaching Sunday school, or someday you will, so get ready. Uh, we need to teach these things clearly, joyfully, biblically, with power from on high. And I want to encourage you as I finish right now, I'm past the minute, but I want to encourage you this. Think of the grandeur of God calling you as a woman or as a man to teach his word, to teach young people, boys and girls, middle age, old timers, whatever your role is, the grandeur that God called you and gifted you, that's why you're here probably for this enormous conference, that he's called you and gifted you. You are not just a little weasel trying to please God, you know. You are an anointed child of God and God has called you to proclaim his message. Don't ever forget that. Even if you're in a small little church and you wish you had a big one like this one, 40,000 people on Easter, on Easter Sunday. All right, rejoice and speak with anointing from on high. And you know, the more like C.S. Lewis saw it, the more you think about the world to come, the more effective you are in this world. I tell my pastor in Portland, he's a great guy. I said, you know, when I come Sunday morning and lately since I don't travel like I used to, I sit there quite a bit and listen for a change. And uh, I said to him, when you get up to speak, I expect that during the week, you've been in the presence of Almighty God, that you've been before the throne of God with the Holy Word of God open before you, with the Holy Spirit speaking to you, and give me something from God. Yeah, be humorous if you wish, but I need a word from God. Don't tell me about your dog peeing on your jeans. I mean, I don't care. <laughs> don't tell me about the movie you saw on Thursday night. Go ahead and tell me, but I want a word from the throne of God, man. That's what I want. Uh -huh. So you brothers and sisters, teachers of children, of young people, counselors, whatever the Lord, and the pastors, of course. Remember, you don't see yourself as a big deal. Your wife probably doesn't think so either. Your mother-in-law even less, you know. So you walk up and, you know, forget it. You are a servant of the living God. And you know, Jeremiah 15, 19, or something like that, says, if you separate what is precious from what is vile, you shall be as my mouth. If you separate what is precious from what is vile, King James, you shall be as my mouth. When you get up to teach five little kids, 50 teenagers or 5,000, you are the mouth of God. It's sacred stuff. So when you talk about heaven, you're not just spouting some little happy thoughts. This is the word of the holy creator. And you speak with authority, with anointing, with humility, but with tremendous authority. And the USA right now needs men and women like you. That's why I accepted coming to Thrive. Because I thought, oh, I've got to spill my heart. Remember, you open the word of God under the anointing of the spirit of God, preaching out truth of God. That is being the mouth of God. We wouldn't dare have said that if it wasn't in the Bible, would we? Me, Lee, little Weasley Argentinian, the mouth of God, yes, because the Holy Spirit is living in me and speaking through me. The same with you, the same with you. Billy Graham, I'll finish with this, told a story about his grandma in North Carolina, and she was dying, she was ancient, and the whole family was around the bed, and uh, they were waiting for the moment. She was 
appeared to be asleep and they thought several times, she's gone. And then suddenly Billy said that grandma sat up in bed, she stretched out her arms and she said, there's Jesus. And she was gone. And that's the way I want to go. Uh-huh. Uh, isn't that glorious? Yeah. have to bend over. Uh-huh. And just in case there is a pagan among us who wants to know, oops, here we go. It's time, yeah. Uh-huh. The Irishman. Uh-huh. Yeah. The, the Irishman is coming to attack me. Uh-huh. So, a little Irish boy, this is true. Uh, his dad was an atheist and he wouldn't let him go to church. He was a divorced fellow. And he had the little boy, about eight. And the neighbor granny came every Sunday. Let me take your boy to Sunday school. Let me take him to church. And the old guy said, forget it. That's baloney about God. I want nothing to do with it. Finally, one Sunday, the granny won. And he said, okay, take him. So he goes for the first time in his life to church and in Sunday school. And he came back at noon for Sunday dinner. And he said, daddy, (laughs) today I was invited to go to heaven. And I accepted. Yeah, isn't that sweet? So I want to ask you before the Irishman leads us in prayer. Uh, have you been invited to go to heaven? Have you accepted the invitation? If you haven't, accepted right now. And you will have eternal life forever and ever. Huh? Come on, everybody. Let's do our appreciation. Yeah.